0: let's talk uh, a little bit more about weather but different. I want to backtrack to the summer um, and and a a project that was launched and uh, the investigation and the research that's being done. So earlier this year we did tell you about the Northern Hail Project. It was founded actually at Western University with the aim of gathering more information about damaging hail storms with, among other things, the eventual hope of better forecasting these storms. Now, Hail causes billions of dollars in, in damage, insurable damage around the world every single year. And you might remember that big hailstorm in Calgary, what was it, June of 2020, that resulted in the first billion-dollar hailstorm in Canada. Well, this past summer, uh, researchers were in Alberta and in a part of Alberta that's known as Hail Alley when a storm roared through with golf ball-sized hail now do you remember this you might have seen some of the video on twitter on social media this was some of the hail the sound of some of the hail hitting vehicles blowing out the windows Yeah, it was absolutely wild. That was around Markerville or near Markerville around Red Deer on August 1st this past summer. So more than 70 cars were damaged along the QE2. And for the Northern Hale uh, Project researchers, it was really a bonanza for their research project. Julian Brimelow is the executive director of the Northern Hail Project. Hey, Julian, welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I am doing super fantastic. I got to tell you, Julian, when I went back and looked at some of that video of that, hailstorm that day the sound from uh, that you just heard I'm still staggered by the damage and seeing those uh, the the windows on those vehicles just being smashed out that was unreal
1: yeah it was was an exceptional day and you know having been caught in hail storms myself uh, I can vouch for the fact that it's very scary and it's very loud when your car is being hit by hail I can't
0: even imagine. Well, I got caught in a in a hailstorm on my motorcycle on the QE2 a few years back without a face mask and had to get pulled over and it was uh, it was a rough go for a few minutes without a doubt. So tell us a, b- a little bit uh, to to begin with about we've heard about tornado alley in in Alberta. What about hail alley? Does it kind of follow that same air, that same swath of land?
1: Uh, probably very similar, maybe just a bit to the west. Um, Hail Alley, it's it's loosely defined, but if you think of an area pretty much from the Swan Hills extending southeastwards along the foothills uh, down to just south of Calgary, you know, uh, Okotoks area, and uh, especially between Calgary and uh, Rocky Mountain House, that's where we find, uh, you know, we have the greatest propensity for hailstorms during the summer months.
0: And and so the Northern Hail Project uh, initiated earlier this year. and if I remember correctly, uh, Julian, I had to do in part because there wasn't a whole lot of research going on or there, there had been at one point and it had been hit, you know, hit pause. And then we started to see more and more damage happening. And, and you're thinking, OK, we need to find out more about how this is. F- well, I guess, you know, how it's formed, but maybe to be able to better forecast it that sort of thing um, and, and in is, is that be a little bit of the background on why the project was formed
1: uh, pretty much that's exactly the reason um, we're seeing similar trends here in Canada that we're seeing elsewhere in the world in terms of damages increasing from hailstorms and as you noted as well the last time we, they were doing you know, regular research on hail in Canada uh, was the early 1980s with the Alberta Hail Project. But when that wrapped up, there was very little interest in hail, and much of the focus was on tornadoes. And uh, so hail's been, you know, it's been lurking in the background, but in the last five or ten years, it's really risen to prominence um, because of the damage it's been causing uh, across North America and elsewhere, in Europe and in Australia. And you know we really need to improve our understanding if we're going to mitigate the risk uh, from hailstorms.
0: And so, in a nutshell, how how does hail form? What 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 conditions are are needed for there to
1: be a hailstorm? all right well that that's a good question because it it, as it happens it's a very complicated process (laughs) and it it spans several space and time scales so there's a lot going on and to be honest we don't fully understand all the processes involved but obviously at the very root of it you need a thunderstorm and you need a thunderstorm that has rapidly rising air currents or updrafts as we call them and what these do is they help lift the water droplets and ice particles well above the freezing level in the cloud uh, to a place where they can begin to grow. And the other thing you need for hail is they need to stay up there long enough that they can grow to large enough size that they're not going to melt all, you know, completely on their way down uh, below the, the melting level. And you also need something called vertical wind shear, which is uh, the change of wind speed and or direction with height. And what that does is it helps partition or separate the growing particles moving upwards with the rain that's moving downwards in the storm. And that plays into needing, uh, you know, that, that pretty much governs how long your updraft is going to last to go to hail
0: okay so this summer when the uh, the hail chasers were on the ground here that that August first day uh, down near markerville um, it, it kind of there was forecast uh, for, for for storms to happen the potential for hail but the magnitude of the storm the size of the hail something that no one expected, Give me an idea of of what you know what that day what went down and when you knew that this was going to be kind of one of those um, out of the ordinary hailstorms.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, it was we were expecting it to be an active day for severe weather. What we were not expecting was, you know, 12.3-centimeter hail that would break the new, break, set a new Canadian record, breaking the old record from the early 70s. Um, what's really unusual about this day, to have hail that large in central Alberta is really surprising. And, and to be honest, I was quite shocked when, when we started seeing the photographs coming in on Twitter. So our, our team was on that storm. It started near Rocky Mountain House. And as these storms often do, they move to the east southeast off the foothills. And uh, the farther east they go, they can tap into juicier air. By mm-hmm. juicier air, I mean air with more moisture. And that moisture essentially acts as fuel for the storms. So they oftentimes tend to in- intensify the approach highway too between Calgary um, and Red Deer. And that's what happened on this day. Um, luckily, our, our team was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> And uh, they were driving down the road, and they saw what looked to be exceptionally large hail. So they pulled over. And sure enough, you know, they were finding grapefruit-sized hail, and not just one or two. There were a lot of them out there. And uh, we were pretty confident that that day we didn't, in fact, find the largest hailstone that was out there. So I think we could have broken the Canadian record by a pretty large margin, you know, had we had the time and opportunity. You know, sometimes the the stones are in a place you can't access, like in a farmer's field. We, We don't. Go on private property, mm-hmm. so we have to find areas that we can access easily. Um, so what really surprised us is you know, if we were going to break a new record, I would say, Oh, it'll probably be somewhere in Saskatchewan because that's where the Sedu hailstone fell uh, many decades ago. But for us to find it in an area like Hail Alley, you know, Hail Alley is known for producing a lot of golf ball size, yeah, here, yeah. and so it's not known for producing giant hail that's you know bigger than 10 centimeters. Wow. So this is quite a remarkable find for us.
0: So grapefruit-sized hail uh, found this summer in Hail Alley down by uh, the Red Deer uh, area. Julian Brumlow and his team. And Julian is the executive director of the Northern Hail Project. So the hail was collected. What do you do with it now? Julian hold the line. I want to find out the answer to that question after this.
1: Driving home the stories that matter in Edmonton. This is Afternoons with your host, Jay Lynn Nye, on 630 Chad, Edmonton's news. Today's talk. So we've
0: been talking about the Northern Hail Project. Uh, which launched earlier this year and um hail chasers uh hail investigators uh spending time in alberta this summer in hail alley as we were talking about and happened to um be right there when a storm a hail storm happened producing a huge hail softball grapefruit sized hail And the eventual hope is, you know, to, you know, in part, there's a number of things, but to better forecast, you know, when storms like this might happen. Julian Brimlow is the executive director of the Northern Hail Project, Julian. So you collected up those, uh, that hail, those, 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 those hailstones. What happens now?
1: That's a great question. Uh, We're in the very fortunate position that we have a lot of data from this past summer. In fact, we have over 100 kilograms of hail that (laughs) that the students collected in the field. And that's sitting in a a deep freeze in the Canadian ice core laboratory at the U of A in Edmonton. And uh, all we need now is is a, a student or someone to go in there and analyze them, but that process has started. So what we did is we, what we'll do is the the hailstones is we'll scan them. So we'll create 3D scans of them um, using an expensive scanner. And then the next uh, step is to cut those stones into thin slices, it's called thin sectioning. And that's when you see those iconic Um, you know, rings in the hailstone that Mm -hmm. can actually tell you quite a lot about the history of that hailstone as it went through the cloud. I mean, when that stone's growing, you know, it's very cold here today, right, minus 20, minus 25. Mm -hmm. Those are the conditions it's experiencing when it's growing up in the cloud, even though it's a hot summer's day. And uh, we can learn more about that environment it's growing in by looking at those rings. And the next thing to do is to melt those stones down and to look at the chemical composition or makeup of that stone uh, to see if there are any clues there.
0: Is there anything, because I know it was not just collecting the hailstones. You had all other sorts of scientific things out there, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, have you have you learned anything yet that you're able to share about that storm and about hails, like, uh, from from what we experienced this summer?
1: Yeah, well, thinking of that day in particular. Um, on that day dew points, which is a measure of how much moisture there is in the atmosphere. It's how how you have, to, what you have to cool the temperature down to for it to get condensation. You know, if you're having a cold drink on a summer day, you oftentimes see condensation on the side. Mm-hmm. That means the air's been cooled to dew point temperature. And that day was 20 degrees Celsius. And just For reference, usually the values are about half of that uh, Mm -hmm. during the summer months uh, in this part of the world. We're not known for having a lot of moisture. You know, it's not a muggy, humid climate. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are the kind of values you'd expect of a southern Ontario or southern Manitoba. And uh, that's something new. We we don't usually experience that. But what that meant is, is that storm had a lot of moisture in it. And uh, that mo- the low-level moisture also, like I mentioned earlier, would have been acting as a fuel for the, for the updraft to create really strong, long-lived updrafts in that storm for the hail to grow in. The other thing we know is um, radar, of course, saw the storm, but the tools we normally use to you know, derive an estimate of how big the hail might be did not work that day. Mm. So there's obviously a lot we need to do to improve the tools and products we use from radar to better identify the location and size of hail. And that's something we need good ground truth data uh, to you know, help us improve those tools.
0: Yeah, and you think about, you know, those who are on the highway, if they knew, you know, the size or the potential damage, you know, could might have been able to get to, to safety or if your car is parked outside and you can move it into the garage. I mean, there's 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 a lot there, and I, I know those are just uh, tiny things, but yeah, when it comes to the forecasting at all and, and the potential to reduce the amount of damage, that's huge right so um what happens next julian as far as the project i mean we talked about studying those hailstones into next summer are you coming back to alberta are you heading are you heading east what are you what are you doing
1: um we're, we're coming back to Alberta. Uh, we had a bumper year this year. And <laughs> fingers crossed, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. We want good data, but at the same time, we don't want people to get affected by a hail. But we'll be back bigger and better next year. Next year, we're hoping to treble the size uh, of the number of people we have in the field. So this year was a pilot project. Uh, a lot of proof of concept went on developing standard operating procedures and also learning a lot. And so next year we'll have three teams. We'll have a team like we had this year going, you know, sampling the hail swaths, going in behind the storm, playing cat and mouse with it and collecting hail samples. We'll have another team flying uh, drones to take very high resolution um, and sophisticated imagery of crops and infrastructure before and after the storms to see how it changed as the storm moved over. And then we'll have a third team who's going to be going out to the Rural areas and urban areas following bad hailstorms and uh, doing a very thorough uh, engineering analysis of the the, the damage, you know, what broke, what didn't break, Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. And that way we hope to build a very, you know, holistic um picture of of hail events in, in calgary and the surrounding areas
0: julian fascinating stuff and i look forward to continuing to to follow uh the work that is being done by the northern hail project and uh you know eventually what comes out of this thank you for sharing your time this afternoon and and giving us an update on on what went on this summer i sure appreciate
1: it yeah, thanks, Jane, and I appreciate your interest. Yeah. Have a good weekend.
0: Yeah, you too, Julian Brimlow, joining me again, the executive director of the Northern Hail Project. Um, yeah, softball grapefruit hail, sized hail in uh, in that storm, August first. You'll remember that. Uh, and again, you know the 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 end goal is to better understand, um, you know what's what's what makes a hail storm and when you can wrap your head around that and you know more about that they're hoping um for you know better forecasting when it comes to hail Forecast out to just like an hour like they're calling it now casting issuing warnings for damaging hail for it to be more precise um and and develop a model that can be used right across the country so interesting stuff and um Yeah, I'll be fascinated to see what happens over the next little bit. This text says, Jay, we had grapefruit-sized hail during the tornado that went through Edmonton. In the 80s, our neighbours had a hailstone go through their shingles, the roof boards, and bury in the insulation. The hailstones were like a slightly flattened grapefruit and had almost a core. We had them for a couple of years in our deep freeze. Thanks for the text.